Just before Easter 2009, Fred Winters, pastor of First Baptist Church, Maryville, Illinois, was shot and killed in a Sunday morning worship service by a deranged young man. The tragedy shook the church, of course. The tragedy shook the community, but it did not destroy their faith. One week later, the pastor's wife, Cindy, was interviewed on a national television broadcast. And when asked about her husband's killer, she said, I do not have any hatred or hard feelings toward him. We have been praying for him. One of the first things my daughter said to me after this happened was, I hope he comes to know and love Jesus through all of this. We believe, she told the interviewer, we believe he can find hope and forgiveness and peace. Her husband's just been taken from her tragically, and she says, we forgive. How in the world does that happen? It doesn't happen on a human level. How in the world does that kind of change come to someone who suffered such a great tragedy and such a great loss? Only through the power and the strength of the living Lord Jesus who conquered death and who can take our hatred and turn it into God's kind of love, who can take our despair and turn it into hope, who can take our, our, our hurt and turn it into, into forgiveness. That's the power of the resurrection. That's the power of the living Lord. He takes what looks like his defeat and turns it into triumph. That first Easter didn't look like a story of triumph. On Thursday, the, the cross and cru crucifixion looked like defeat. Then came Sunday and the risen Savior and the various post-resurrection appearances of our living Lord. On Thursday, witnesses saw a dead body placed in a new grave. On Sunday, visitors heard the greatest breaking news ever spoken. He is not here. He is risen, as he said he would. This turn of events reminds us that God's plans are not our plans. Remember, we can't always see him working, but we know he's working. People of faith know God is always at work. People of faith know that God is always on his throne. He never steps down. Someone said there is never an emergency meeting of the Holy Trinity. Nothing ever catches God by surprise. God is still in control. God still has a plan. God is at work. And despite the headlines blaring from across the world and the things that, that drive us, could drive us into despair, God is still in control. He is still at work this Easter. So let's think this morning about the triumph of Easter. And I invite you to join with me as we look at Luke chapter 24's version of that first Easter Sunday morning. We're also going to be popping into Mark for a minute, parking, popping into John for a minute. If you want to mark your, uh, your Bibles, have your Bibles ready. But Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and, and be crucified, uh, and then the third day rise again. And then they remembered his words. And then they returned from the tomb and told all of these things to the eleven and, and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. 
And their words seemed to them like idle tales, like, like a bunch of nonsense. And they did not believe them. But Peter arose, ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling at himself at what had happened. Think with me for a few moments about the triumph of Easter. First of all, Easter declares that God does the unexpected. God does the unexpected. God often works in surprising ways. Have you ever, as you read through the Bible and the stories of the Bible and the stories of redemption leading up to the cross, leading up to the resurrection of Jesus, have you ever noticed how God surprises us, how the Bible is full of surprises? God, for example, shocked Moses when he called him to lead his people out of Egypt, speaking from a burning bush. God amazed Sarah when he granted her desire to have a child long past her childbearing years. God got the rebellious Jonah's attention when Jonah woke up in the belly of a great fish. I think that would get my attention too. What about you? The angel visited young Mary, startling her with the news that she would be the mother of the Christ child. The angel startled the shepherds with the news of the infant Jesus' arrival, then filled the heavens with the angelic chorus praising God. The disciples were surprised to see Jesus walking on water. Peter was surprised to walk on water until he didn't. Saul was totally shocked when Jesus stopped him in his tracks on the road to Damascus and he called this enemy of Jesus, this enemy of the gospel, to become an ambassador for Christ and a proclaimer of that very gospel message he had been fighting against. Easter Sunday is God's biggest surprise of all. Early in the morning, the women came to the grave to anoint the body of their dead Savior. They were trying to honor Him. They were so dedicated. They went the extra mile. They got up really early. They had collected all of their, their anointments, all of their spices, all of their embalming stuff. They, they, were, they were filled with shock and grief. Wouldn't you be sad? Shocking. They had just begun their journey of grief. They'd watched the brutality of the crucifixion. They saw firsthand Jesus' struggle, the anguish he suffered. They saw him die. They saw him take his, his last breath. They expected to find the body in that grave of a, a dead Nazarene. They even wondered how they would get into the grave because the large stone would be sealing the tomb. And when they approached the tomb, they were greeted by at least three surprises. First, the women were surprised to find the stone rolled away. They didn't expect that. They expected a sealed tomb with a posted guard, a, a, several guards, and they, they found the grave wide open and empty the, and the tomb basically unguarded. They weren't expecting to find an empty grave. Second, they were surprised to encounter a heavenly greeter to see a heavenly greeter. Mark calls him a young man in a, in a long white robe and focuses only on one greeter. Matthew calls him an angel. Luke records it was two men in shining garments. And in, in Luke's gospel, they ask a surprising question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Third, the women were surprised to hear what the angels proclaimed. They were surprised to hear the news that the angels proclaimed. He is not here, he is risen. He is not here, he is risen. They looked for themselves and yes, he was gone. And don't you know that had to be just a, just a, a, a split second moment of, 
of bewilderment. It's like, well, what happened to him? We saw them put him in the tomb. We saw them seal the tomb. I mean, what, what, what's up with this? His body was gone. Was it stolen? Was this a Roman conspiracy? Was this a cruel joke? Luke says they were greatly perplexed. The biggest shocker was the best news that, that they could have heard at that moment as they realized Jesus is alive. And He arose as He said He would. He, he kept His promise. He kept His word. The resurrection proves Jesus is who He said He is. He is the Son of God. No other religion can claim that their leader is alive, that their leader conquered death, that their leader rose from the grave. Mohammed did not rise from the grave. Confucius did not rise from the dead. Buddha did not rise from the dead. Jim Jones, Joseph Smith, David Koresh, they didn't rise from the dead. No other faith can claim a risen Savior. Jesus died. He was buried. And on that first Easter, He arose. Death was conquered. If anyone ever says to you, I don't believe in the resurrection, just ask them, well, then what happened to the body? Can you show me the grave? I can take you to any grave in the world if you'll give me the name and we can run it down. I, I can take you to any religious leader's grave. But tell me, where's, where's, where's the body of Jesus? Have you ever seen God do the unexpected in your life? Have you seen God do the unexpected lately? How, how has He worked in your life recently to show you that, that He wants to, to do great things for you, that He's working in your life to do the unexpected? How has God surprised you? Second, Easter declares God's power continues to roll the stones away. Let's run over to Mark for just a minute. Mark chapter 16 his version of the resurrection. Read with me the first three verses. If you're turning, I'm going to give you just a minute to turn. Mark 16, 1 through 3. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him very early in the morning on the first day of the week. They came to the tomb when the sun is risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone for us? Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us. Now hold that thought for just a moment. The women were concerned about access. They were concerned about getting inside that tomb so they could reach the body of Jesus. They, they needed to get inside the grave so they could anoint His body. Mark records the women's question about the large, the large heavy stone. Did you catch that in Mark 16? The large heavy stone used to close the grave. Who would roll away this stone from the door for us? I, I find it interesting that they came anyway, knowing that stone was there, knowing that stone was not only large and heavy, but sealed, knowing that stone was not only large and heavy and sealed, but, but guarded, but they came on anyway, anticipating that someone, somehow, God would provide a way for that stone to be rolled away from that tomb and for them to, to get in there and have access to, to Jesus. This shows the deep devotion and the great love and the great care that they wanted to show to their Jesus, that they had for Jesus. Somehow they trusted God would get them inside. Yet, can you imagine the moment when the tomb was dark and sealed? Guards are standing outside. 
at the end of their shift, trying to keep from falling asleep, thinking about the rest of their day, looking for their relief. And suddenly there's, there's a twitch. Inside there's a wiggle. Maybe there's a, a rumble. And in a flash, Jesus is no longer lying there. That, that, that's, that's, uh, then, then our powerful God rolls the stone away. Not to let Jesus out, He's already risen. But to let others in to see firsthand that He is not here. He is alive. Amen. Amen. So God is still the same powerful God that He was that first Easter Sunday morning. God's power still means as much in our lives today as it did just that second that He brought Jesus back to life, rose Him from the grave, opened up that tomb, and made Jesus live. He still removes obstacles in our lives. He still helps us overcome setbacks. He, he still helps us to navigate whatever comes into our lives and, and, and end up triumphant when we trust in Him. He gives us victory when we walk with Him. Let, let's, let's think about this stone being rolled away for just a moment and, and, and use our, what I call our sanctified imaginations to think about the power of God working. Now, I, I strive to be a true, strong, biblical preacher. And I know the difference between eisegesis, exegesis and eisegesis. Do you? Exegesis is when you take the text and then you look at the context... And you try to figure out what God was saying then to those first hearers, to those people. And then you take it and try to apply it to 21st century living. What is God saying to us today? That's exegesis, expository preaching. What does the text say to us? You study, you pray, you pull everything you can out of that text. Now, you've been under my preaching long enough to know that's how I preach. Eisegesis is when you make something up and you read back into the text. <laughs> What's really not there. Okay, so I know the difference. But just go with me this morning for just a moment. What could this stone represent in our lives today? What, does, what stones does God roll away in our lives? We talked about one in the introduction. The stone of hatred that holds us back and makes us bitter and keeps us from forgiving and, and makes, our, makes ourselves a prisoner to ourselves because we won't release the debt we think somebody owes us and find the freedom that comes from, from forgiveness. That's a stone God can help roll away in our lives, just like He did in that pastor's family. Amen. Beyond that, God rolls away first the stone of hopelessness. These ladies were discouraged as they came to the grave. They were totally heartbroken. They, they had followed Jesus. They believed He was the long-awaited Messiah. They believed that He was the one that for years prophets had prophesied about and God had spoken a word about and they were anticipating. And now He had come and, and they had lost Him. They placed their faith in Him. They pledged to follow Him. They were followers of Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus? They listened to His teachings. They stood with Him, even when His closest disciples deserted Him in a moment of pressure. They were with Him to the end. That's what dashed their hopes. They saw Him die, and hope was gone. We, we, we capture this feeling on the road to, to Emmaus. If you'll go back to Luke 24 for just a moment. Let's pick up the story. Luke chapter four, uh, 24 beginning in verse 13, if you'll follow with me. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day 
to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus drew near and went with him, them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known these things which happened here and there in those days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God in all the people, and, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him and condemned him to death and, and crucified him. Now capture this, verse 21. They're in mid-sentence talking to this stranger walking with them. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Think about those words. We were hoping. Listen, anytime you start talking about hope in the past tense, you're in trouble. We're in trouble. We have hopes and dreams. And then our hopes and dreams are not fulfilled. They're, they're dashed, they're waylaid, they're interrupted. Or life knocks us down and, and we teeter on discouragement. Look at what happened to these ladies, however. Let's jump back to Matthew. Thanks for jumping with me this morning. Some of you are jumping. You're getting your exercise. You're letting your fingers do the walking with me this morning. Matthew 28, verses 8 through 10. Look at what happened to this, these ladies. <clears throat> so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring the disciples' word. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, what would he say? Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. They saw the risen Savior face to face. As soon as they saw Jesus, hope returned. John 20, 20 reads, The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The message version says, The disciples, seeing the Master with their own eyes, were exuberant. Seeing Jesus turned things around, made all the difference, and their hope returned because they saw Jesus. Second, God rolls away the stone of fear. In Matthew's account, as we just pointed out, after meeting the angel, the, the women went quickly from the tomb with a mixture of joy and fear, and Jesus met them and said, what again? Do not be afraid. Verse 10. In John chapter 20, verse 19, after hearing from Mary Magdalene that she had seen the risen Lord, you remember what the disciples did? They gathered together after this post-resurrection appearance. They gathered together and they locked the doors. John is very clear to, to, to point that out. They locked the doors. They were afraid the Jewish leaders would come after them next. And then in John chapter 20, verse 26, John points that out again a second time that the doors were securely shut as the disciples gathered. They were scared to death. Fear closes the windows and locks the doors. Fear paralyzes our ability to think clearly and move forward. Fear keeps a believer 
or a church family from accomplishing what God wants them to do and is leading them to do. When Jesus appeared to the disciples gathered behind locked doors, what did he say? Peace be with you. You have fear. I bring peace. Look to me. Jesus brings peace and calm to our fears. The key to overcoming fear is remember that Jesus stood in the midst of those scared disciples and Jesus stands in the midst with you also. Whatever's on your heart, whatever fear you're facing this morning, whatever it is that's keeping you awake in the middle of the night, give it to Jesus. He's standing there with you. He wants to take it from you. He wants to deliver you from it. Third, God rolls away the stone of doubt. We're jumping over to John now. Thanks for bearing with me. John chapter 20. The stone of doubt. You remember this part of the story? Thomas apparently was off somewhere. They don't say what he was doing. He was off somewhere when Jesus made his first appearance to to the uh, disciples. So eight days later, John points out in his gospel that Thomas is with them this time. He makes sure to point that out. John records that the disciples reported they had seen Jesus. And what did Thomas say? You remember this famous line? Unless I see in his hands the print of his nails and put my finger into, uh, into the print of his nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I've got to touch those nail prints. I've got to, I've got to put my hand in his side. Until that happens, I'm not going to believe. Now, doubt is bad if we let Satan use it to undermine, weaken, or destroy our faith. Doubt is good if you let God use it to lead you on a journey of discovery that leads to a stronger faith or that leads to a journey to find Jesus. You may be familiar with the name uh, of author Lee Strobel. Strobel was an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and an atheist. His, his wife became a Christian. And he noticed the dramatic difference in her life and, and the growth that took place in her life. She was a different person. As his wife became a Christian, he, 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 he couldn't buy it. He decided to explore this Jesus and to prove to his wife that Jesus was not the Son of God. So he contacted scholars and historians from around the globe. He investigated material from outside the Bible, written during biblical times, but did not end up into the Bible. But it confirmed the the, the history of the life and work of Jesus. And he discovered that everything pointed to the resurrection and everything hinged on the resurrection. If Jesus really died and came back three days later, then that fact validated everything Jesus said and proved he was what he claimed to be. After two years of investigation, Lee Strobel sat down at his desk with his legal pad and he he drew a line right down the middle of the the piece of paper on the front page of that that paper and of that pad. And on one side he wrote all the evidence against Jesus being the Son of God. On the other side he wrote all the evidence for Jesus being the Son of God. He was overwhelmed by what was right before his eyes on that sheet of paper. And he gave his heart to Jesus right then and there in that moment. After two years of trying to prove there was no Jesus. God has used this New York Times best-selling author 
ever since. Let God roll away the stones of doubt in your life. Fourth, God rolls away the stone of death. We may not like to think about this, but we need to be confronted with this reality. The, the clock is ticking on every person in this room. Every one of us, no matter how young we are, no matter how old we are, look at Dwayne Haskins. Who would have dreamed? What a tragedy. Every one of us has an appointment with death. That day is coming. That's part of life. No matter how long we live, life is short, especially when compared with all of eternity. The Bible describes this life as a vapor or a mist that is here for a moment and, and then it's gone. That's why the psalmist wrote, teach us to number our days. Our, our days are, are so precious because they are a gift from God. We need to live in a way that makes each day count. And if we're a believer, we need to take our, our, our relationship with Christ seriously and make sure that we are living for Him each day because each day counts. We are here for a certain amount of time and then we're gone. Unless you have an experience like the man from Mississippi. Walter Williams was declared dead several years ago. Holmes County Coroner Dexter Howard back then received a call from Williams Hospice nurse saying the the 78-year-old man had, had passed away. The coroner and Byron, or Brian Porter from Porter and Son's funeral home drove over to Williams' house to pick him up, checked his pulse. There was no pulse at 9 p.m., they said. They completed the paperwork they had to do. They placed Williams in a body bag. They took him to the funeral home. When they got into the embalming room, something strange happened. The body bag started moving. His legs started kicking, and he began breathing lightly. Paramedics found a heartbeat and transported him to the hospital where he stayed for several days before returning home. They think that William's defibrillator implanted in his chest may have kicked in and restarted his heart again. Whatever happened, they called it a miracle. The man they had declared dead came back to, eternal, to, came back to life, not eternal life right that moment, life for just a little while. Now, we all die, but because Jesus rose from the grave and conquered the power of death, He gives us, listen to this, what Jesus did on the cross and what happened three days later makes it possible for you and I to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Makes it possible for us to know for sure we can go to heaven when we die. Makes it possible for us to receive the free gift of eternal life. Makes it possible for us to have eternal life. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll look this one up real quick. You don't have to turn. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall, shall be made alive. That's what baptism symbolized a little while ago. I'm proud of these guys stepping forward and getting baptized. You know, it's symbolic. When we go into the water, we're saying, first of all, I'm identifying with Jesus. I'm identifying with His death, his burial, and His resurrection. I'm not ashamed of Christ. I'm identifying with and, and, and I'm thankful for what Jesus did for me. But it's also a personal testimony of what happens in our life when we accept Christ. If any man is a, uh, in, in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's passed away. Behold, all is, all is new. And so we're saying my old life is buried and I'm rising to walk in newness of life. That's the power of the resurrection moment. The newness of life. And then listen to 54 of chapter 15. 
Death is swallowed up in victory, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, because Jesus lives, we have victory over death. Because Jesus conquered the grave, death is not the end for the believer, but simply a passageway into the eternal presence of God. Fifth, God rolls away the stone of lostness. Now listen carefully. The Bible is very clear that persons without a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ are lost, meaning that they are doomed to eternal separation from God unless they realize their need, they turn from their independent living, turn from their rebellion and sinfulness, and believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, and the second coming of the Lord Jesus, and receive His free gift of eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus bridges that gap, the separation between sinful man and holy God. Easter proclaims the good news that Jesus is alive and because He conquered death, we can live forever with Jesus in heaven if we will receive Him as our Savior. Amen. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yes, he will die an earthly death, but there's life after death. He, even though he may die, yet shall he live. I didn't really follow the Winter Olympics this year. Some of you may have, but, but back in February, Norway's Jarl Mangus River turned around after missing a turn during the cross-country skiing portion of the individual Gunderson Large Hill 10, uh, 10K competition at these 22, uh, 2022 Winter Games in China. Nordic combined skiing, combines uh, ski jumping and cross-country skiing. The sport has been dominated in recent years by this Norwegian athlete named Jarl Mangus Ribber. Ribber did not have a good day. He tested positive for COVID-19 upon his arrival to the games, missing the first event and, and every training session. He cleared isolation on Monday in time to ski cross country for 10 kilometers on Tuesday. As he entered the first of four 2.5 kilometer loops on the course, he, he came to a fork. To the left was the cross-country circuit. To the right was the way to the finish line. He had not had a chance to practice on the track because of his sickness and being isolated. So, so he had to make a guess. And he made the wrong choice. He skied about 50 yards down the wrong path before realizing he was going the wrong way and turned around, but it was too late. River, who dominated this sport, who was in the lead, who was skiing his way to victory, who was going to have another, another medal, did not triumph. He did not find victory because he took the wrong path. And he realized it too late. Jesus himself, listen carefully, says that he is the only way to heaven. He is the true path. He is the only path. No matter what else you read, 
no matter what else society tries to tell you about intolerance, no matter what kind of signal this culture is communicating, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. But the good news is, today he gives you a choice. You may be like the skier who's at a fork in the road. And this is your moment. Folks, claim this moment. Don't choose the wrong path. Don't put off choosing the right path. Don't presume upon God and say, I can do this tomorrow. We aren't guaranteed tomorrow. Make Easter 2022 super, super special by deciding to say yes to Jesus today. You can say yes to Jesus and receive forgiveness and a right relationship with God, a certainty of eternal life, or you can say no to Jesus and suffer the consequences of your decision to say no. One day you'll look back and you'll say, man, I was in church that Easter Sunday morning and the pastor told me how to be saved and, and I put it off. Don't let that be you. So listen very carefully, very quickly. Here's what Jesus would say to you this morning. I came to die for you. I loved you so much, I paid the price for your sin. In your place. It should have been you up there, because I'm the perfect sinless son of God. But I came, and all the sin was laid on him. My sin, your sin, the entire world's sin, so that we could find forgiveness. He paid that price. His blood was shed. Then he rose from the grave, conquered death, giving us the opportunity to have eternal life. We have to realize we need Jesus. We can't get to heaven in our own power, our own good looks, our own good works. We can't work our way to heaven. We can't earn our way to salvation. There is not one single thing we can do, not by works, lest any man should boast, the Bible says. Well, we are saved by the grace of God through faith. So once we realize we have a need that we can't get to heaven by ourselves, we need to turn from our sin. We have to admit our sinfulness and turn from that sin. That doesn't mean that you'll never commit a bad act again because we're still human. It just means you move from the position of being apart from God and moving through Jesus to being right with God. Positionally, you are forgiven. Positionally, you are righteous when you accept Christ as Savior. So we turn from our sin. Our life's heading one way away from God. We turn around and we head to God through a personal relationship with Jesus. Then we have to believe the story of Jesus, everything I've been preaching, that he died, he was buried, he arose, he's coming again. But you have to take it a step beyond belief. You have to receive. As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. So I just want to give you the opportunity this morning, and I pray some of you will take this opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. We do that by, by calling upon Jesus. The words we say are not magic. There's nothing magical that happens. We open our hearts to Jesus in humility, telling Jesus we need Him. We invite Him to be our Savior. We call upon Him. We ask for His salvation. We ask for His forgiveness. God promises. God's the one that saves us. God saves us when we, by faith, turn to Jesus and ask Him to, to give us salvation. So join with me in prayer and say this prayer. If you have never prayed this prayer before, if you've always wondered, what can I do to be saved, to be sure I'm saved, you can make your decision for Christ this morning. Senior adult, high school student, older child, whoever you are this morning, single adult, say something like this. Put it in your own words, but be sincere. Dear Jesus, I realize I need you this morning. 
I can't get to heaven on my own. I believe that you died for me. Thank you for, for dying for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. Now, dear Jesus, I turn from my sin. And I invite you to come into my life this morning. To give me forgiveness. To give me salvation. To give me a place in heaven. To make me right with God. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now let me lead us in prayer. Lord, I pray that someone within the sound of my voice, online or in this room, made this, this wonderful, great decision for Christ this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we will be bold enough to make that decision public, that we will do the things that you want us to do. We pray, Lord, that, that uh, we'll live for you. If we claim to be a follower of Jesus, that we'll live like a follower of Jesus. But this morning, Lord, we pray for decisions to be made for you right this moment. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.